Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's a privilege to be here, guys. It's such an, uh, um, uh, an awesome Sunday morning to spend here with you guys and worshiping our God. Um, I'm originally from California, so don't hold that against me, okay? I'm from the good half, the northern half, okay? Uh, the coastal and the southern is what really um, skews the entire state. It's actually much of, much of California, when you look on it, um, on, on, on the maps, much of it is very much God-believing, gun-holding people. But there are a few areas that really uh, change the state. But it gives me a different perspective, especially being here in Virginia, because, you know, a lot of the nonsense that happens in California begins to sweep through the nation, right? And we're seeing some of that kind of nonsense come here in, in Virginia. I remember not long ago our governor talking uh, here that it's okay to abort the fetus after it's been born, right? That was once called a baby, and that's called infanticide, okay? And what's really ironic about it is that he used to be a pediatrician. So how do you take an oath to protect all life and then say it's okay to murder the child after it's been born, all in the name of women's health? We're seeing um, a lot of things transition in our country. And uh, so being from California, uh, it's, it's, I got to grow up in, in uh, largely public schools, see the diversity, see a lot of the different stuff and how it takes place and how it can affect a culture and a society. And I'm watching those things sweep through our nation. And I already saw it many years ago. So I'm very familiar with a lot of these things. Um, but the Lord had us move here going on seven years ago. Um, uh, we moved, my wife and I moved here. Our firstborn, we now have three. Uh, our firstborn was about three months old when, when we moved here. I asked my wife to do a lot to uh, leave her family, uh, support everything that she had in, in helping uh, take care of kids. Who knows how difficult it is to raise kids? Man, oh man, is it something. We now have three, uh, three boys. Our oldest just turned seven. Um, our middle is going to turn four, and our youngest is one. And it has been, uh, she's an awesome, godly woman. I asked her to do, again, a whole lot of plugging, unplugging from every, all the life that we knew and move across the country to Virginia simply because I felt God said we were to move here. And she followed, and she was in full support and agreement. And it's been awesome um, what God has been doing with us since then. Uh, I currently am a student at Liberty pursuing uh, in seminary, pursuing the master's degree in divinity. I also currently serve as a chaplain candidate in the United States Army. So I'm also getting to see a lot of this woke stuff take place in our army. So it's been very interesting uh, watching these dynamics that are going on in our nation. That's actually what I want to talk about, the leaders that we need. When there's failure of leadership, everything crumbles. Everything falls apart. So before I begin, I would like to pray again. Father, thank you for the opportunity to uh, come and speak to your church, to your body. Uh, God, I, I'm not worthy. Um, I'm not worthy to handle your, your word nor to teach it. Uh, but God, you make us worthy. You have called us unto you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move powerfully, anoint my mouth to deliver your message, that we, as we handle your words, that we rightly divide the scriptures in order that we can be encouraged and strengthened in the faith. We are each here for such a time as this to stand against this evil that is trying to sweep our land. Each of us in this room are equally commissioned to go forth and preach the gospel and make disciples. God, I am not ignorant of the fear that can sometimes invade us and the difficulties and the persecution that come. 
but you have promised us. Just like we sang in, your, in these songs, your promises are what we hold to. You said you will never leave us nor forsake us, but you were always with us. May we come to know you, Father, during this time of, uh, of worship and this service, but even more in our lives, may we come to recognize your spirit more and more in our lives. I believe you are shaking the church and you are getting rid of everything that is not of you. Just like you said in Hebrews 12, that you will shake things so in order that the things that are of you will alone remain. Father, may you be with us this morning. Continue that presence and minister into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're watching a, deterior a deterioration of a nation. We're watching an undermining of our foundations that comes, by and large, not uh, catching us off guard. This has been a multi-generational effort. This has started multi multiple generations ago. So this isn't something that just suddenly appeared and, uh-oh, we have a problem, right? Okay, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Daniel 6, and we're going to look at the type of leaders that we need. But one of the things that I want to point out is fear is the number one tool to manipulate people. Fear is the number one tool to manipulate. You can get people to do anything that you want them to do if you can make them afraid. Hence, that's the way terrorism works. We understand terrorism is very ineffective if it's not invoking terror. You can't get people to capitulate to what you're trying to do if they're not afraid of you. Vice versa, this is the military side. To combat terrorism, you have to make them more afraid of you. And then they back down. Hence the reason why, in the last 18 months in Afghanistan, we didn't have a single loss of life. But we get new leadership in there, 13 soldiers are dead because of pure incompetence. We are watching this deterioration go everywhere. And we cannot just look at politically and nationally these things falling apart, right? This is happening in our schools. It's happening in our churches. Um, we have looked at, we have seen denominations deteriorate throughout the years. And don't think that it's not possible to happen in every denomination. Just recently, uh, the Evangelical uh, Lutheran Church just um, voted in their first transgender bishop. Okay? This transgender person now oversees 200 churches in <laughs> none other than Northern California. Okay? And they're celebrating this. They're harking this. What a great success we have done. And they're cherishing, look at the way that we're moving forward and praise God for this. No, that's not praise God. They have falsified a religion, have they not? They have neglected the scriptures. Now, this is what's interesting to me. The stats have been done, and I've looked at a couple different research uh, polls that have been done. 20% of professing Christians, remember, these are people who acknowledge that they're Christians, acknowledge Jesus is, is the Lord, and these are professing Christians. Only 20% of them regularly read their Bible. So if I was to count off in here, and assuming everyone's a Christian, this would be kind of sobering, wouldn't it? The stats say another 20% of professing Christians never read their Bible. So that leaves you with 60% of Christians seldom picking up their Bible. So that means Christians are, by and large, biblically illiterate. No wonder all of this nonsense can pervade within the church, and it can pervade within our nation. Because listen, folks, a nation is only as strong as its family unit is strong. Amen? A family is only as strong as the husband-father is strong. We don't make men of God anymore, do we? 
Do you see how this comes back to the principles and the foundations of the Lord and His Word? But when those people that say that they are Christians are illiterate of the very book that they say that they hold up and decry is the, is the Word of God and it's infallible, it's inherent and all these things, but yet they're ignorant to what it actually says, you know, the most Christians that I have found, when they go into their belief, their belief structures or worldview, you know what they usually start off with? I feel or I think. Well, listen, I don't want to sound harsh, but I don't, I don't think anybody cares what I feel or what I think either, nor do I care what you feel or you think. What does God say? And that's supposed to be found, the foundation in which we're built. We say Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Is he, though? In every aspect of our lives. We're going to look at the leaders that we need. When there's failure of leadership, uh, things crumble. Things fall apart. You know, something very interestingly, the way that God set up the kings in Israel. We all know that scribes were the predominant ones that duplicated God's word. They rewrote God's word to preserve it, right? And to continue it, to make copies. Did you know that God actually commanded the king to do that as well? To sit upon his throne and rewrite the entire Torah, the law. And to study it and to meditate upon it. There's an interesting passage that we won't get into for today, but um, during the reign of Josiah, the high priest went into the, the temple of God. I want you to imagine this. In the temple of God, there was an Asherah pole. Does anybody, has anybody heard of Asherah? Okay, Asherah is, is littered throughout the Old Testament. She was the goddess of fertility. Asherah um, her name has changed throughout cultures and throughout the centuries. Today, we would know her as Easter. Ishtar is her name that is translated throughout the, the, the centuries. She was the goddess of fertility. And what is Easter symbolic signs? A bunny and an egg. And it, it goes all the way back to the worship of Asherah. Now, this Asherah pole was inside God's very own temple. So imagine if we took down I am, we take off praise him, we remove any, uh, the cross, we remove any semblance of anything we're uh, giving to God the glory, and we put up tapestries of pornographic type of, of acts. Okay? The way you worship Asherah was actually through sexual acts. So inside God's house, all the vessels of God were removed, and they were fornicating inside God's temple. Could you imagine that taking place? And this was happening in Israel, in Jerusalem, in the temple. And the high priest goes into a back room in the temple, and you know what he found? It says the word of God, or the Torah, the scroll, was found inside God's house. That means it was lost. And I wonder how much is God's word lost in the greater church? only 20% of professing Christians regularly read their Bible, I almost wonder if we're getting close to that again. How many denominations that when we look at their history, they were very strong biblical-based churches? Now, look at what has happened. The SBC is the largest denomination. And the SBC's previous president, J.D. Greer, openly supported BLM and said to Christians, do not say all lives matter, but we need to be saying black lives matter. 
That's removing the entire biblical perspective that all lives do matter. It doesn't matter the ethnicity. Nobody picks that. That all are made equal with the dignity of, uh, of, of God bearing their, God's image. There's no other worldview, by the way, that has that foundation. We are the ones that have that worldview. We are the ones that can actually speak truth into this wokeness that is going on. But we can't do that if we're ignorant of the scriptures and our leadership is failing. So we're, we're going to take a look at Daniel. By the way, and that, that point with um, the way God's temple had declined, King Josiah, he was, he was about eight years old when he came to rule, and he was taught in the things of God, and he recognized, hey, this stuff is bad, what's going on? And he actually sought to reform the entire, an, entire land, and he did. He, he, he very much uh, so succeeded in many ways, and he removed all of that stuff out of the temple, and they began teaching God's word again, and there was a great repentance that went through the land. Unfortunately, it didn't last long. Um, but we're going to look at a time here at Daniel. This is moving um, uh, about 150 years from that event that I, I, I spoke of into the future. And this is, uh, this, uh, obviously we know how Daniel ends up in, ba in Babylon, right? Uh, there's, there's an exile. Why did the exile happen? Why did the judgment on Israel happen? It's because they corrupted the worship of God. God kept telling them over and over, repent, 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 repent. And they said, mm, no, we're going to continue doing it the way we want to do it. And so out of God's righteousness, he had to invoke justice, right? He has to invoke justice, otherwise he would be like you and me waving in everything that we do. God had to invoke justice because his righteousness stood on the table. He had to do something. And he gave a long period of time for repentance to take place, and they refused to repent. So judgment had to come. And so Daniel and others are taken into captivity. Now we know that Daniel is in exile in Babylon. Uh, Daniel is um, as a young man when he goes, and we see this excellent spirit that's within Daniel. We know of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We see a story that happens in the book of Daniel where they will not bow down and worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and they're thrown into the fire, right? Three were thrown in, but a fourth one was there, and they're completely unsinged. So hot was this fire that the guards that, that took and threw those young men in, uh, those guards died because the fire was so intense. But yet these three men lived, their bonds were broken, and a fourth was standing in there with them. And Nebuchadnezzar calls them out and says, what in the world is this? Hey, listen, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he is the one true living God. And he put out a decree into all the land that no one can speak ill against Yahweh. How about that? A Gentile was proclaiming Yahweh as the one true God. Okay, so now we come here to Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar has died. Uh, his grandson is sitting on the throne. The grandson is totally perverted in everything that he's doing. He's thrown a great banquet. Um, he even says, hey, bring in those vessels from, the, from, God's, uh, from that Hebrew God's house. Bring all those vessels that we took out of the temple, and let's, let's drink our wine and make merry with those vessels. So he's desecrating the vessels that belong in God's temple. And, of course, we know, we know what happens, the handwriting on the wall, right? And Daniel is the only one able to interpret it and says, look... <laughs> You're dying tonight here, here, buckaroo. You have dishonored God. You knew what your grandfather had declared and what he went through. You knew how God uh, uh, changed his mind, made him think that he was a wild beast, and he stood out there, what well, was about seven years or so. You did not listen to your grandfather. You have rejected the truth, and so tonight you will die. 
And sure enough, that happens. So um, the Medes and the Persians come in, they conquer, they take over, and we're picking up right at that point that Darius is now over uh, the, the entire Babylonian kingdom. So uh, chapter 6, verse 1, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, uh, uh, to whom these satraps should give account. So Darius is setting up his own government structure, right? He's breaking his, pro- he's breaking his country into provinces. And then uh, he has 120 over those, and then three main officials are going to sit over those 120. Those 120 have to give an account in order that the king might suffer no loss. Okay, verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was within him. So notice what takes place within Daniel. Daniel starts to stand out. Daniel is an older man at this point, but Daniel is beginning to stand out. It's, it's not too terribly common when a foreign uh, empire comes in and collapses another empire that they're going to keep their wise men. Usually, those wise men would have an allegiance to the previous king, so they're going to wipe them out. But there's something excellent within Daniel, and obviously God is also protecting him. But Daniel is set up, and he begins to become distinguished. Was Daniel distinguishing himself? Do you think he was going out of his way to show how he's better than everyone else? Was he seeking his own praise? Absolutely not. God began to distinguish Daniel above all the rest. And Darius was recognizing this. But how is he becoming distinguished? Because an excellent spirit was in him. That simply means a surpassing spirit. It means, Paul echoes this in 1 Timothy 3, when uh, churches select their leaders, it lists out the qualifications for elders and deacons. He says it like this, that our leaders are to live above reproach. That's what Daniel was doing. He lived above reproach. He lived with such an integrity that any accusation that would come against Daniel would fall to the ground because he lived in such a way that those things couldn't stick to him. What if, what if we live that way as Christians in every area of our lives? So an excellent spirit was within him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But notice what happens with these other high officials. Verse 4, Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. So they began to conspire against him, did they not? They didn't like what was happening that Daniel was being elevated. Who is this Hebrew who's not, neither Babylonian, nor is he a Mede, nor is he a Persian? Who is this Hebrew of that podunk uh, area over there that, can't, that keeps getting conquered. Who is this guy to come, up to come up these reins and be set over everything? You know, there's another person in the scriptures that lived with such an excellent spirit that he was exalted to the second position of the kingdom. Who was that? Joseph, right? We see the glimpse. In the Bible, there's, this is something that's very interesting. In the Bible, there's typically always at least two mentions of, this, of a similar thing or a similar event or a similar story. And this is one of the ways that we can, can really... Um, dispel false doctrine and false theology and this uh, because likely something that's going on in the bible has taken place before and the way the hebrews study the bible is they study the law first mentioned like so where was something like this first spoken of you go back there so that you get a fuller context of what it's talking about here it's almost like there was a god over the creation of his word so that we couldn't mess it up okay so so there so we see a similar story within joseph okay So Joseph also lived this way. Joseph was falsely accused of attacking Potiphar's wife, but we know it was exactly reversed. Now, it's very probable that Joseph 
um, was believed by Potiphar not to have done that because Potiphar, from every account, should have, should have killed Joseph. But he doesn't kill him. It's probably because he believed Joseph, but, to, but because of Egyptian custom, he had to go with what his wife said, and Joseph wasn't an Egyptian, so he didn't have any legal standing in the Egyptian court. Okay? So he's thrown into prison. We know that he's put in prison for 14 years. He didn't deserve it. And he's forgotten about. He's forgotten about. He's forgotten about. And then he's elevated to what? To Viceroy of Egypt, the second in command of Egypt. And there's actually, archaeology has found the other, multiple remnants of things of, of identifying Joseph there. Um, and there's a lot of, in the secular world, they try to disprove that the Hebrews weren't actually in Egypt during that time. I don't know how much you guys follow that, but they try to disprove everything from the Bible. But Joseph was there, and the archaeology has more than suffice, uh, sufficient evidence to prove that. But here is Daniel living with the same excellent spirit within him. Paul says that we pick our leaders in that same spirit. We look for that excellent spirit, leaders that live above reproach. But these high officials began to conspire against him. But, um, but they sought a ground for complaint, but what, what was the problem? They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. You know, Proverbs says uh, something along the lines um, that, See a man that is skillful in his work, he will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. How does that apply to us? I don't think any of us are kings in here. How does that apply to us? That means everything we do, we do it all to the glory of who? To God. We do it with the most excellence that we have. It doesn't matter if we're working for somebody or or we are our own boss. Both are an opportunity to do all things as though we're doing it unto the Lord. And that's how Daniel lived. And so these men... Notice, verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So now these men are so, so creative, they recognize Daniel's not going to fail within, his, within his, um, his abilities and what he's doing for Darius. We're going to have to figure out a way to contort something to be able to pervert Daniel's worship in order to get Daniel to succumb uh, and, and, fi- and to find fault in him. But they knew Daniel was such a man of integrity and honored his God in all things that they knew they were going to have to hold his very own faith against him. Are we seeing anything like that happening in our nation today? Why is it whenever the secular and the faith come together, it's expected that those of faith have to, have to capitulate? Why is that expected of us? I'll tell you why. How many of you have grown up hearing in the public square you cannot talk about two things? You cannot talk about faith and you cannot talk about politics, right? You all heard that too out here. Okay, I heard that all the time growing up. Listen, Jesus literally commands us to go out and speak our faith, to go out and share. We are the salt and light in this earth. If salt has lost its saltiness, what is it good for? Nothing. Do we take a light and put a basket over it so it blocks the light? Yet we have allowed the enemy to to very much do that to us. See, it's so easy for us to lose the spiritual perspective of the worldly matters that are going on. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Who who is it against? That's right. The powers and principalities of darkness, right? 
So we recognize this stuff that is happening within our nation, it's being carried out in the temporal through physical beings, but it's being orchestrated through where? The spiritual world. So the way that you intimidate people is through what? Fear. So we threaten persecution. We threaten you won't be promoted. We threaten you'll be fired. We threaten all these different things in order to make us afraid so that we capitulate and, and submit ourselves under the tyranny of secularism and evil. Isaiah actually talks about this as well. Isaiah 59 verses 14 and 15, that righteousness is far back and justice stumbles because truth is lacking. And those that turn themselves to it make themselves pray, P-R-E-Y. But yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus said? You are sheep, and I'm sending you out into the midst of other sheep? <laughs> Wolves, right? What do, do wolves hunt in singles or in packs? Do sheep have any defenses? Has anybody here ever raised sheep? I've only read about it. You have? You've raised sheep? I've seen them. They look like the dumbest thing out there. Are they pretty stupid? Okay. You know, it's very humbling when God compares us to a sheep. And there's definitely times in my life I can look back and go, wow, that was really stupid. I see why I'm a sheep. But he's literally sending out this defensive, at many times stupid creature into the midst of wolves. What do wolves do to the sheep? They ravage them. So we already know the persecution is going to come. We already know what our mission is. We've been commissioned by the King of Kings. Do you understand that the demonic world trembles at the very name of Jesus? Have we not read this? The demons tremble at the name of Jesus? So that means those things that make us afraid are afraid of the God we serve. And yet, we capitulate to their nonsense. Why do we do that? Christian, we have got to push off this fear and say enough's enough for God has declared for God has said you are his what his ambassador just like in the political sphere today wherever there's an embassy set up that embassy of that foreign nation right the ground that they're on regardless of the country it's in becomes ownership of the country it represents Wherever the American embassy is, anywhere in the world, that compound is American soil with American law. And that ambassador that serves as the ambassador of that, of that embassy fully and completely, 100% represents the United States of America. So let's put this into the spiritual perspective in the very words that Paul uses in calling us ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of God entrusted with the message of reconciliation. That means you are God's ambassador. Everywhere you go, you're walking on territory that belongs to who? So what are we afraid of this world then? Why are we afraid? What can they do to us? Even more so, do you know that there's no other faith that promotes such glory that's awaiting for them? Paul says it this way, for me to live as Christ and to what? Die as gain. Christian, do you live that way? Is that truly the cry of your heart for me to live as Christ and to die is to my benefit? I'm actually promoted when I die. Or do we live with the fear? Do we live with the fear? Do we acknowledge God with our lips but our hearts kind of wander from him? It's so easy for us to wander from the God we love, is it not? 
Hence the reason for the purpose of strong fellowship and personal Bible reading. Because when we renew ourselves, Romans 12, when we renew our minds with the Scriptures, it transforms us into a living sacrifice for the Lord God. Daniel understood this. And he was willing to serve God in everything, even if it cost him. Remember what Daniel did when Nebuchadnezzar first took them and they were going to eat a diet that was contrary to what God had given the Jews to eat. And Daniel said, hey, listen, we don't want to do that. In fact, can I, create, can I just set up a test? How about you give us just vegetables and water and let's see at the end of this certain time period who looks healthier, who looks better. God sustained Daniel, Meshach, Abednego, Shadrach. He sustained them to where their countenance, their spirit, even the glow of their skin looked better than everyone else eating from the king's table. Do we not believe the God of the Bible is still the same then as he is now? Why are we afraid of this evil that's trying to sweep our land? It has no authority. Jesus is the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. Daniel lived with this, and these guys recognized and began to conspire against him. Like, okay, we're going to have to use his own, his own law of God against him. Verse 6. We'll move quickly because of time. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So do you see what they're doing? They created an injunction that went out, a declaration that went out, that for 30 days, no one can worship anybody except King Darius. No God, no other person, no anything. Only King Darius. Think about how crafty this is. Think about the... I just want you to, to realize this, this, this sinister thing that they just did here. And this is going to really make King Darius mad. They manipulated King Darius to invoke his authority to eliminate his best servant. And King Darius is going to become aware of this, and he is not going to be happy about it. Listen, we don't want to tick off the king, right? How much more a heavenly king? It's so easy to praise God with our lips, but it's a whole lot harder to serve him with all of our heart. And if he is the king, he's not an elected king, is he? We didn't elect him. We didn't vote him in and say, you know what? You look like you represent us. We're going to go ahead and put you there. He sits upon the throne. He is there, and he has called us to him. And yet we have this ability within us to reject him, to push back, say, oh, no, no. I'll give you this much, but not all of this. If he is a king, where is the king's respect? And these high officials manipulate King Darius to use, to exercise his authority to invoke something they wanted done. Now listen, I'm going to say this carefully. I believe the Bible teaches us to bring our petitions, our requests, our pleas to God. But how often do we stay in prayer to listen to what his petitions, his pleas, and his requests are to us? 
Do we treat God in our mind like he's just kind of like a puppet? He just does things for us and how lucky he is to have us? Or does he truly have every area of our lives? My work life, my family life, my personal life, my everything. Does he have everything? Is he the God of a little bit or is he the God of everything? Is he truly Lord or is he only my Savior? Verse 10, when Daniel knew that a document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel knew this injunction was signed. Did it change anything of, the, of Daniel's character? Changed nothing. He didn't capitulate to the world government, did he? He worshipped his God. He stood firm in who his God was. And he didn't even do it behind closed windows and closed doors. He kept his windows open, just like they had always been, three times a day. So if it's three times a day over 30 days, 90 times he went and did this in defiance to the law that was, that was written and declared. But he wasn't doing it out of rebellion, was he? He wasn't doing it this hard, well, I'm going to show them, I'm going to do what's actually right. I'm going to stand on righteousness. No, that's not what he was doing. He's saying, I'm worshiping my God because my God is the one who placed Darius over here. My God is the one who's in control of it all. So therefore, he demands my allegiance to him. And Daniel gave his allegiance to, to, to the Lord God. Verse 11, then these, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his gods. They, ah, they knew it was going to work. Ah, we found you, Daniel. Pray to your God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, Oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered said, the, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Verse 13, Then they answered and said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, one of those darn Hebrews, pays no attention to you, O king, um, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, listen, was much distressed. He wasn't angered that Daniel was ignoring his injunction. He became much distressed, and he set his mind to what? To deliver, to rescue Daniel, and make every effort until sundown to save him. Do, do you guys like recognize what's happening? This... This Persian king is looking to do everything he can to deliver this, this, this Hebrew when this Hebrew went against his very own decree and, and injunction. The Gentile who does not honor God sought a way to deliver the one that honored God. You know, I almost wonder if God allows the persecution to happen in order that he could display his glory. We get so afraid of the persecution, we run from it, and we do everything we can to hide. We have been taught, do not talk about these things in the public square, lest you risk persecution, tribulation, trial, whatever the case may be. I've been guilty of that as well. But could it be that that persecution could happen in order that God could manifest his glory that causes the unbeliever to become a believer and to strengthen the faith, the trust of my God deeper in my heart within us. Count it all joy, brothers, whenever you face 
trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let us not run from these trials that are coming our way. But we need strong leadership. We need strong leadership. Verse 15, Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persian that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So notice these guys are coming and say, O king, we want to remind you of your law. <laughs> Trust me, King Darius, if I was King Darius, I'd be, I would be coming infuriated inside because he full-on recognizes why these people did it out of jealousy because of Daniel's, uh, Daniel's position. They did it out of jealousy, out of envy. You know, Solomon even writes about this in Ecclesiastes, that the, the vanity within humanity, that we can envy each other so much, it will cause us to do uh, really horrible things. Verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the, to the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, listen to this, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. So now, aha, here's the moment for God to manifest his glory. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So Daniel's thrown into this den, and a great stone is rolled in front of, in front of the opening. It is sealed up and marked with the seal of the king. Do we kind of remember any other story that's similar to that? A dead man's put into a tomb. It's, the tomb is sealed up marked with the seal. Uh, it's not to be opened. Oh, it's very interesting, is it not? But the king was, went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions. That means none of his wives, no entertainment. Nothing was brought to him to divert him from what he was doing. Sleep fled from him. He was up all night. Verse 19, Then at the break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The queen declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, this is not uncommon to test somebody by fire. Have you ever heard the phrase trial by fire? Okay, this is a very long-running thing, and, the, and it wasn't uncommon to find out if somebody was telling the truth or not. There would be this really radical type of situation set up, and the person was put into it. If the person was delivered from it, it meant the gods were implying that this person was telling the truth. If the person succumbed to the whatever it was, the den of lions, it meant the gods declared, no, he was actually lying to you. So it's not uncommon, this whole den of lions thing. It's kind of an odd punishment, but it was very normal to do something strange like this, the trial by fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? God displayed in a, in a, in a Gentile way that these men were righteous. That make sense? So God is doing this. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you? Then Daniel, verse 21, said to the king, O king, live forever. May God, uh, my God sent his angel and shut the, mouth, the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and before you. O king, I have done no harm. See, Daniel is responding in the way in which the Gentile king would understand. Does that make sense? My God has shown me righteous. He has displayed it to you and to all your kingdom. Do you think Daniel's uh, attitude toward God would have changed even if, if he died there in the lion's den? I wonder, 
I hope none of us have to face martyrdom. But we seem to think that the little persecution that we encounter here in the States is as, is as difficult as martyrdom. Um, has anybody heard of Brigitte Gabriel? Uh, she runs a, she, she's a, she is Lebanese. She grew up in Lebanon at the time when King Hussein out of Jordan uh, kicked all of, uh, of um, Hamas, Arafat and Hamas, out of Jordan, and they went up to Lebanon. Lebanon at one time was a strong Christian nation, over 80% Christian nation. And like, um, uh, unfortunately, out of ignorance, they said, oh, sure, come up here, you, you poor people. You were kicked out of your country. Let us take you in. Well, Hamas went in and did what they what they do, they invoked terror. They began to try to take control. Lebanon's now no longer a Christian nation. But Brigitte Gabriel grew up during that time frame, okay? And she recounts a story uh, that friends of her parents um, uh, actually lived through. And when Hamas came into this one town that the friends of the parents were living in, the, this, these friends just had a baby. And Hamas came in, tied the baby to both the, the parents, and they made them tear their baby in half, okay? Uh, I have friends that, um, that uh, served in, in Afghanistan talking about the evil in which the Taliban and Al-Qaeda was actually invoking upon their own people, uh, talking about babies put on stakes and all sorts of things. I mean, we're talking about an evil that's very difficult to grasp. But do we understand that rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God? Do we truly understand that the liberty that God has granted to all human beings is granted to us by him, and we should be defending that within ourselves as a nation and looking to do that for others. There is such an evil that is looking to, one, pervert what our kids are growing up in. There is such an evil that is looking to pervert everything about this nation. Look at how our history is being rewritten. I, as I mentioned, grew up in California, had an open socialist government teacher, openly socialist, and he would openly contort the things of America and look to disparage America that we're really not that great and we're really not that good. We really have a history of doing bad things. Are there bad things in our history? Yes. Were there failures? Yes. But there are documents set in place that enabled us to make right those wrongs. And those documents, if, if you read them, are so, cloud, uh, like so clo uh, clothed in scriptural language that it's so evident what the foundation of this country was. And that is incredibly under attack right now. Incredibly under attack. And this has been a multi-generational issue going on. This is nothing new. And this did not catch God off guard. Listen, I want to also say this. God is not so much concerned about, is America in the last days? Are they not in the last days? Like, that's not really a concern to him. What is a concern to him is you and I. Are we faithfully representing God and his righteousness during this time that's looking to pervert it and to crush it? Are we standing against the powers and principalities of darkness? Our God's already conquered them. So what have we to be afraid of? If God is for you, who can be against you? What can separate you from the power of God? Can anything? Nothing. Daniel led with this 
excellent spirit. And look what happens in verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den of lions. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Um, In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are brought before the high priest again and all the council. And they had been warned prior, do not, do not speak in the name of Jesus Christ any longer. Don't do it. And they said, we are to worship who? We're to worship God and not men. So it applies to us. We worship God and not man. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Verse 25, And King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. You understand this, the Gentile writing this, making a proclamation to his entire kingdom. He owned it all, and he sent the proclamation out to be spoken in every single language. Almost like we've heard that before in Acts, right? Every language was hearing the declaration of the Almighty God. Here a Gentile is doing it. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, ne- shall be to no end. Um, he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in, earth, in heaven and on earth. He who, who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So does Daniel prosper during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. There is an evil in the land that is looking to destroy us. And it's not just us individually, but it's us collectively. It's looking to stamp out the name of Jesus. And it's very interesting that every other faith can be talked about in the public square, except one. And it is intentionally and systematically being stripped away and removed. Christians have been called for many years the silent what? Silent majority. I don't know if we are the majority anymore. But being silent is sure nothing to pat ourselves on the back about. We have been silent for too long, church. I want to make sure to, 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 um, to put this within context of Scripture so that I'm not, I'm not misunderstood. I apologize for the length, but I'm going to close with this. We have got to speak, and we have got to speak truth. If there is ever a time for the hope and message of Jesus Christ, it is now. We are watch- do we truly believe if people don't have Jesus, they go to hell? Do we truly believe that? Okay, if we truly believe that, that should overpower the threats that we receive from the world to proclaim his message. Okay? But this is how we are to do it. Uh, Peter writes about this. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13 through 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, 
yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It should be very clear to us how we are to go forth and speak. And I want to encourage us, church, read your Bible. Study it for yourself. I hope that you get blessed in coming to church however often you come, but your greatest time of fellowship should be intimately one-on-one with the Lord. There's nothing to circumvent that. There's nothing to replace that. That should be your most cherished time. And if you... If you sp- Can anybody testify that this has been your most cherished times has been personally with the Lord? Can anybody testify to that? I'm telling you, there is th- th- that is the best time that you will grow, you will be, there will be healing to your spirit, there will be encouragement to your bones. It will d- it, it's amazing what God does with us when we spend alone time with Him. There's nothing that circumvents that. And I have found the direct correlation that when we do not spend that individual personal time with God, we are unable to defend His name and speak truth. We're unable to do it. The hour we spend together on Sundays is not enough. This is to bolster what God is doing in us individually. Amen? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the scriptures, God. We thank you for the example of excellent leaders that have led. We thank you for the examples after example after the example of your faithfulness within your body, within your, within your people that serve you. I can't even imagine just the pressure that Daniel would have felt at that moment. Uh, what should he do? How should he respond? All throughout his life in, in a foreign land, but yet... He had such a personal, intimate relationship with you that he continued to serve you even if it cost him everything, his life. For he knew something that I hope each of us know, that for us to live as Christ and to die as gain, it's to our benefit if we are to die. We will finally get to inherit the very thing that we're supposedly living for. God, increase in your body and breathe your spirit upon us in order that we can stand with strong conviction that we will be men and women of conviction, men and women of integrity, men and women of God, that we will proclaim your truth in gentleness and love and respect, but that we will stand firm. And after we have done all else, stand firm, that we will truly be the living stones that Peter talks about, creating this, this wall that we stand against the oppositions and, and, and wiles of the devil. Give us spiritual eyes to perceive and, and even more so, God, grow us, grow us with a passion, a zeal, a zeal for you that we are satisfied with nothing less but than the fullness of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.